This is the word of the Lord. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Uh, From a very early age, we are obsessed with the idea of freedom. As children, we grow very weary and tired of our parents telling us what to do. We want to be free to go to bed when we want to go to bed, to eat what we want to eat or not eat what we don't want to eat, to be able to do what seems good to us. And we would be lying to ourselves if we really change as we grow older. As we go grow older, that's the, the great lie for you children in here, is that when you get older, people stop telling you what to do. It's simply not true. It's just different people who are telling you what to do. And so you go to work or you're uh, at home or, or at church or other places, and there are people telling you what to do, and you want to be free, or even the government at times tells us what to do, uh, laws and so on and so forth, and we want to be free from the constraints of being told what to do. We want to do what we want, when we want, and how we want to do it. This is at times what we consider freedom. Uh, But as we've been going through Galatians, we see that Paul has been showing us that freedom, in this sense, is not exactly right. Uh, Galatians, as I've said in the past, can be divided into three parts. We've gone through biography and theology, and really Paul has settled into ethics now. How are we to live as those who are free? And beginning with chapter 5, the Apostle Paul takes the good news of the cross and the empty tomb and applies it to daily life. For freedom Christ has set you free. In essence, he says, you've been free, so live as if you're free. Stop living as if you're not free. As we saw last week, it's the same thing he said last week. You're no longer children of Hagar. You're no longer sons and daughters of Ishmael. You are sons and daughters of Sarah, of Isaac, of the the promise. You were born again, free. You were not from the seed of the serpent. You were the seed of the woman. And really, in the context in which we live, Americans value freedom above all else that's what we are right land of the free home of the brave but what does it mean to be free we like our freedom of speech our freedom of assembly the freedom to vote but really in all of these things what we really want what is at the core of our desire is the freedom to be left alone don't tell me what i can and cannot do we are naturally selfish again we want to do whatever whenever however with whomever we please 
We don't necessarily want freedom of religion. We want freedom from religion. A religion that would tell us what's right and wrong. And the reality is that this is no freedom at, at all. It's just another kind of bondage. So what then is the, the best and freest type of freedom? John Stott says this, freedom from my silly little self in order to live responsibly in love for God and others. True freedom is freedom from self in order that we may love God and love others. So as we come to our text this morning, we'll see three things. We'll see a love that is free. We'll see a work that enslaves And we'll see faith working through love. Love that is free, work that enslaves, and faith working through love. When the Bible talks about freedom, it talks about freedom in Jesus Christ. This is immediately what he says here, beginning in verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Freedom has released us from slavery to the old humanity. We are free now from sin. We are free from death. We are free from the devil. We know that we are born in sin. We share, we inherit Adam's first sin. We are evil by nature. We do not have to teach children to sin. And if you do not believe this, come to my house and stay with Josiah. We are going through it with that poor boy. As he throws, this morning, even in my office, we wouldn't let him blow bubbles. So he throws the bubbles to the ground. He screams and throws himself on the ground. He's protesting, why won't you let me be free? I want to do what I want to do, and how dare you tell me not to do it? We are evil by nature. We are destined to die. We are tormented by the devil who tempts us towards sin. And Paul tells us true freedom is not self-reliance. True freedom is not relying on self to do and be all. He says Christ has liberated you. For freedom, Christ has set you free. He set us free. You are free from sin. You are free from the guilt that it brings with it. So sin no longer gets to stand over you and condemn you. You are free from the penalty of sin. And he has done this through the crucifixion. He has offered up himself as the just price for our sins. So that we would never have to face the wrath of God for ourselves. Not only this, he frees us from death. We see this in the resurrection as Jesus Christ conquers death. And he says, I have purchased for you, I have gained for you eternal life and life everlasting. You now have this. I have set you free from death. And so Paul can cry out in Corinthians, oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Because the sting of death has been removed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death is no longer the end. And in this, he has set us free from the devil. He has broken Satan's stronghold over humanity. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says it this way. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, 
and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. He has freed us from that slavery. He has freed us from the devil. And the only way that we can receive this freedom is by trusting in Jesus Christ, being free in Jesus Christ. And that enables us to be free to no longer do what I want to do, what Daniel wants to do, but to do what Christ would have me do. As we are free in him, it enables us to be free to submit to him. Because this is the reality. When we come to Christ, we have been given a freedom and a love at no cost. He gives it to us without let or lean. He does not come and ask that we earn it. He does not come and ask that we make ourselves presentable enough to earn it. It's not about what he or what I have done. It's about what he has done in me. The accomplished, finished work of Jesus applied to me by faith, applied to you by faith. So now you are free. You are free from sin and death and the, the devil. You are no longer under its powers. You are no longer enslaved to these things. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are indeed in Christ, then the greatest of burdens has been removed from you. And yes, we struggle. Yes, there is a, a, a continual uh, suffering in this world, but we are free. Ultimately, we are free. And so we must live as those who are free, as those who have been delivered from this world, who have been deli delivered from sin and death. We cannot, Paul says, continue to submit to, to the yoke of slavery. This is what he says at the end of, of verse 1. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What is a yoke? This is a word some of us might know. It Probably the younger of us in here might be going, well, that's the thing in the middle of the egg, right? Uh, that's the yoke. But a moment. You can laugh. That's fine to laugh at church. Uh, that's not what yolk is here. It's not uh, a, a yellow center of an egg. A yolk is this big wooden piece that would have gone across two oxen or, or cattle of some sort. And it really is, if you ever look, go home, Google yolk for your children and show them what a yolk is. It is a massive wooden bar which has this U-shaped connection underneath it to, to hold uh, the head of the beast in, usually in pairs. Uh, another type of yoke you could, you could consider is if you've ever seen people carrying water buckets, they sometimes will have a yoke-type device across their back and water buckets on the side. And it's burdensome is the point. A yoke is burdensome. If I were to go out and we took two of your elders, of course, and put yokes around them and put them out there and ask them to go across the, the parking lot, it would be hard and difficult. It is laborious, and there's a sense in which it wears down and beats down this yoke and he says don't return again to this yoke of slavery even in the old testament the jews called the law a yoke it was burdensome and yet they were coming to the church in galatia and they were taking that yoke and they were applying it back to these new gentile christians put this yoke on adding the law of moses to the gospel of jesus christ and according to these uh, Judaizers, the only good Christian 
would be then a circumcised Christian. Those who were following after the law. Paul knew what was at stake here. It was about what makes a person right before God. He's talking about circumcision as standing for the whole of the law. He's not talking about the act of circumcision in and of itself. Uh, we understand circumcision is something that is done even now today. Uh, it's not a, but it's not about religion. It's about oftentimes just about hygiene. This is not what he's talking about. It's not the sign of circumcision in and of itself. It's what is being applied to that sign of, of circumcision. They were saying, unless you are circumcised, you cannot truly be a follower of Jesus. In essence, they say we are justified by what we do. And it cannot be both. Either people are justified by what they do for themselves or solely on what God does for them. Circumcision then became a way of saying, Jesus is not enough. Jesus is not enough. You have to add your work, in this case circumcision, to the work of Jesus. You need something more. Now, circumcision, as we see here, is, uh, is an alternative, then, to the faith in Jesus Christ. But it's not solely that. It's not like we go, we could easily, very simply, at this point, say, well, we don't struggle with that. Thanks be to God. You know, we don't have this issue of circumcision anymore. But it really isn't just about circumcision. It's about anything, anything we put in place of Jesus Christ, or, or should we say, to help Jesus along. Anything we place there in our lives to justify ourselves, to make us right before God. Maybe it's the work we do in church. We come to church and I, um, maybe I keep the nursery or I clean the church or I volunteer for Sunday school or so on and so forth. And we say, look at the good work I'm doing. Aren't I pleasing to you more now? Or maybe it's the quality or frequency of our personal devotions. Jesus, I did not miss one quiet time this week. I am doing so good ourselves on the back. Maybe for some of us, and I think this is largely in our population, we're depending on a decision that we made years and years ago. Even if we never donned the doors of another church, we said, well, back when I was 12, I was at this conference or I was at this youth camp and they asked me to come forward. I came forward and I'm good now, right? We're good. I did what I needed to do. But if we're to seek after him, or if we seek after these things and not him, then we're not really free. If we're to be Christians, we have to depend wholly on what Christ has done for us, not what we have done for Christ. Works in this sense is fatality. It's fatal. And Paul is worried that they're moving from freedom in Christ to slavery under the law. And if they're to do this, then there's several consequences that they will face. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you, therefore, or, that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. In essence, he says, if you're going to make circumcision be the basis of your faith, then Christ does nothing for you. He does no good for you. If you add works to your faith and make works dependent upon your faith, then Christ can't do you any good. Trying to get right with God by this way is useless. 
William Perkins, the Puritan theologian, says it this way. If we will not let Christ do everything for us, he can do nothing for us. At least as far as our justification is concerned. If we cannot let Christ do everything for us, he can do nothing for us. His finished work cannot be refined, perfected, or destroyed. So first, we, Christ becomes of no advantage to us. But second, we become debtors to God's law. He says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you're going to accept this one thing as the basis of your faith, your, your quiet time, whatever it is, then you must keep all of the law. Every last uh, jot and tittle of law you must keep per- perfectly. God's law will hold us in its debt. Luther says it this way. The same principle by which you are obliged to receive circumcision obliges you to accept the whole law. You must give up either Christ or the righteousness of the law. If you keep Christ, you are righteous in his sight or in the sight of God. If you keep the law, Christ is of no avail to you. Then you are obligated to keep the whole law. And the reality is this, brothers and sisters, no one but Jesus can keep the whole law. If we oblige ourselves to keep the whole law, then we will fail in the keeping. The yoke of the law is unbearable. It holds you in an infinite debt, and it will weigh and bear you down. But third, we see that we are cut off from God's grace in Jesus Christ. You are severed from Christ, he says in verse 4. You who would be justified by the law. The word severed here is not used unintentionally. Uh, We know what circumcision is. Uh, It is a severing. It is a cutting off. And he says, if you would rely on circumcision, then you are severing yourself from Christ. In the Old Testament, circumcision showed two things, at least. It showed that these were the set-aside, separate people of God. They were separate from the world. But it also showed that if they rejected God, they too would be cut off from him. And Paul says it's the same in the, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. If you rely on circumcision, then you are cutting yourself off from the people of God. You are separating yourself from the people of God. And this is not Paul saying we can lose our salvation. We know no one truly united to Christ can ever lose their salvation. But there are those who participate in the community of God's grace who have not fully accepted it, who can cut themselves off from that grace and become outsiders. And so we have to be reminded of what's at stake here. We who are no longer slaves, we who have been freed, we who cannot go back once again into slavery. What at stake here is our salvation. What is at stake here is us being righteous 
before God. You have gained freedom. You have shared in his grace. You have gained an inheritance. And Paul says, why would you go back? Why would you go back into servitude? Could you imagine someone, if we were going to a prison today, and we would say, you, you who have committed a heinous crime, you are free. I am freeing you. Not because you've been good enough or you've earned parole, but I am freeing you. And he walked out of the jail, looked and said, you know what? This freedom thing's all right, but I think I want to go back to jail. I'm going to go back. Let's go back. It doesn't make any sense. We cannot place ourselves back into restraint. Christ must be enough. And if he's not enough, then he has no value for us. Paul concludes here in verses 5 and 6, in essence by saying, how then can you be saved? How can you be saved? If, just, if justification is not something that you earn, then how can you be saved? For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. In essence, justification is not something you work for. It's something you wait for. We wait for it. We long for it. We are looking forward, in essence, to the day of judgment. He says the day is coming. We are waiting for it. Where Christ will perfect us. He gives us the gift of faith. This gift of faith that is expressed through love. Verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But only faith working through love. Faith is expressed through the work of love. He'll say something similar in Galatians 6. For neither circumcision counts or anything for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation in Christ uh, all these other works, the works of the law and everything else become irrelevant. Not that we don't do them, not that we don't seek after in obedience. Uh, as he says here, faith is worked out through love. In Christ, circumcision doesn't matter. Uncircumcision doesn't matter because we're all one in Jesus Christ. We could consider here the case of Timothy and Titus. We know uh, Timothy was circumcised, and Timothy was circumcised because the desire was to reach people, people for the gospel. It wasn't about the following the law. Titus was not circumcised. Titus wasn't circumcised because at that point, the Judaizers were saying Titus must be circumcised. And Paul said, no, if it's about faith, then we're not going to do it. He said the only faith that matters, the only faith worth anything is that which is expressed through love and it's not that we're justified by love it's not works or it's not faith plus love it's love that flows out of faith we can say it like this the faith that alone justifies is never alone when we are given a faith that justifies it always is accompanied with love true faith is a working faith again luther says it this way 
He who wants to be a true Christian or belong to the kingdom of Christ must be truly a believer. But he does not truly believe if works of love do not follow his faith. Love is the outworking, the overpouring of genuine faith. We who are most free, we who are in Christ Jesus, must be filled with his love in order that we may be enabled to love others. Faith working through love. Brothers and sisters, do you have a faith that is working through love? It must be an outpouring of our expression of faith. And we know that, that, that the love is not the cause of our faith. But we know when we have a real faith, it produces something in us. Love of God, love of one another. We must shine forth this love. There's a simple children's song. And sometimes, not always, sometimes I think we find some great theology in simple children's songs. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. I'm not going to conceal it. I'm not going to hide it. The one thing that the song doesn't tell us is what is that light? If you just hear that song, that's very ambiguous. But in the proper context, we understand something. That Jesus has given us his light. He has given us his life. And we are to let that life and light and love shine forth. We're not going to hide it under a bushel. We're not going to let Satan it out, right? Is that how it goes? Blow it out. Snuff it out. We are going to let it shine forth. Obeying what God has called us to do. Resting in the spirit in which he has given us. Taking joy in all that he has accomplished. Resting in his finished work. Working out our faith as scripture teaches us with fear and trembling. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we cannot have a faith that seeks to justify itself. Nor can we have a faith that is lazy. And it is easy to grow lazy and weary in the faith. But there is no room for that in the body of Christ. Yesterday, we got to walk this neighborhood back here just for a little bit, and it was a great thing. I got to take my two daughters with me, and as we're going up to doors, and you know you know the experiences you have going up to doors. People don't want to be bothered. And so my daughters were like, can't we just put it in the mailbox? We can just put it in the mailbox, right? That's okay. I said, no, we're going to go up to the door. We're going to knock on the door. We're going to try to engage with them. And, you know, we you experience rejection, and that's okay. We had literally a... These people run into their house, shut the door, and when we ring the doorbell, they never came to the door. And we knew they were there. They saw us watch them go inside. They didn't want to talk, and that's fine. But what, what we're supposed to do is allow our faith to work out itself in love. To say, you know what, I understand that you don't want me coming into your life right now, but the gospel of Jesus Christ has called me to do so. Even if it's just to come and say, look, we're going to invite you to this to this." picnic i just want you to have this and we're right over there and we just want you to know we're there and that we want you to come over and just share a meal with us and it's it's about reaching people for the kingdom 
And it's not about results. Larry, in an email to, to some of the, the session members recently, or, or the missions committee, reminded me of this fact as he said, we do things, I'm paraphrasing you, Larry, I'm sorry. We do things not for the results that we might gain. We do things out of faith and obedience to our God who has called us to do thing, do them. So we can say all what we want. We can say, well, that may not work or that's not going to work. And it's not about the results. It's about faith working through love. If we're to have a faith that is uh, rooted and centered in what Christ has done for us, then it must be working. I'm sure, and I encourage you all to stay for the coming Sunday school time. I'm sure that Greg and Julie could tell us any number of examples of times where they beat their head against the wall doing missions work over 20 plus years in, in the ministry and you're out there and you're seeking and at times it feels like you're not gaining traction but it's not about the gaining traction it's about submitting in obedience to the God who has called us and freed us from slavery and sin and he has freed us from death and we come and we rejoice in him and we express the love that he has given us the freedom that he has given us that he has taken and removed the yoke from our necks and says, you are free. You are free in me. Now go and serve me well. Work out your faith in love. In the love that I have produced, that Christ has produced in you. Not that you've earned it, not that you're good enough, not that you're special enough. Because I loved you. Go show the change that I have wrought in your life so that others may know me. Live as children of the King. Live a faith that is displayed through action in reality. That's not one of the constant criticisms we would hear of the church and it's not an unfair criticism is that Christians don't live out what they say and a part of part of me wants to say yeah that well that's because we're sinners welcome to the club come on uh, but part of it's true that we grow lazy in our faith and we don't live out our love through faith it's not that the doing makes us fit it's that the faith he has wrought in us causes us to go. It is a product of our faith. We must have a faith working through love. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is my prayer for us. That if we know him, that we would work our faith through love. And also, for those of you who do not know him... My prayer is this, would you know the freedom that is found in Christ, the freedom that has delivered us from sin, from death, from the devil. Know that freedom. Come to him. Embrace him. And know his love. And go forth and shine that love to the world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for what Jesus has done in us. We're so thankful that he has freed us from slavery to sin. Would the wondrous reality of that be made manifest in us? And we would we go forth in love 
to the world around us, to one another. We ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen.